0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am joined by Brian Joyner and Bob Osgood. For a special edition of the podcast, I don't even know if we're going to number this one, but it would be 266. Uh, But anyhow, this is the emergency podcast for Rafael Devers signing with the Red Sox, an 11-year extension worth $331 million uh, as reported by, I don't know, a million people. It was Carlos. Was it Carlos who broke the story, gentlemen? Carlos broke the story. Uh, Carlos Baerga of, of 2002 Red Sox uh, lore um, breaks the story. He's, he's had a couple of these big deals. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's set the stage here. Um, Bob and I and, and Brian and I uh, and all, all of us have been um, texting each other back and forth about the dastardly state of this franchise uh, for a while And, uh, Bob was texting me yesterday about the Devers one year arbitration, uh, agreement. And he's like, Hey, you think this means anything? And I'm like, dude, come on. Like, this is, this is garbage. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden out of nowhere, a nuclear bomb drops on us and we've got Devers locked up for the next 11 seasons. So, uh, you know, I'm going to open up the floor to you two gentlemen, Brian, Bob, Uh, How do you guys feel about this whole thing? I don't even know how to process. Bob, let's start
1: with you. All right. Um, Yeah, you're right. Where do you start? I think my first thought is today, the key being today, they did the right thing. Um, What caused them to do the right Mm -hmm. thing or what brought them there is a long tangled web. But I think that the last month was had a lot to do with it i mean there is a lot of bad publicity on the franchise right now coming from our shows and coming from a lot you know more important people that are uh, you know on more important websites if you will that have been doing that for the last month and it's been kind of there was a black cloud the whole season and then the last month you could say it's almost been a laughing stock um when Ken Rosenthal and others are are leading their articles with the Red Sox confusing offseason. And that's bad publicity. And in the past, when there has been bad publicity for the ownership, they've um, overcompensated. And I don't think that this is overcompensating, but I think it's going out and doing the right thing today. Um, I don't know that there were any other options or paths to success beyond 2023, Um, you know, I'm. You could say maybe they learned from past mistakes with Bogarts and Betts and uh, things of that nature. But I think today they did the right thing. That doesn't mean that they did the right thing in general. I think a year ago when you could have locked up Trevor Story and Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers and who would have been guarantees for a lot earlier into their 30s than this is based on the current market. Um, it would have made people feel appreciated and it probably would have made for a better 2022, but today he did the right thing. And I think it was a fair deal that I'm sure we'll get into from both sides. All right, Brian,
0: what's your take?
1: I totally agree with
2: Bob. This is, a I don't know, uh, just to follow up on what Bob said most recently, how much there is to say about the deal itself, because it seems like an 11-year hundred to $350 million deal is just what you do. It seems pretty much um, a standard type of deal these days, which is why I agree with Bob also that this seems to be reactionary more than it is part of a plan because it so deviates from everything they've done up until now and while you could say yes, John Henry got booed at a hockey game at the baseball stadium he owns and turn around and say, well Of course, that's not going to make him be rash when it comes to someone, something like Raphael Devers, where he also got hazled in the parking lot. And that might be true. But the simplest explanation here, given how proscribed these contracts have become, they're very, very clear. They're for 11 years for whatever reason. And they're for a certain amount of money. That's like $280 to million, $380 million. And it's a matter, philosophically, for your team of whether you want to give it or whether you don't. Every other team that gave out one of these deals gave it out in late November or early December. The Red Sox gave it out today. The only reason I think they gave it out today was that they have, in some ways shifted gear slightly potentially in response to what fans have said but in a way that I fully support because I think this is a very good contract
0: yeah I mean I agree with both of you guys um about you know this being a really good deal and about being happy that the Red Sox are finally shifting. Their philosophy, but my first thought when this happened was like, okay, the Red Sox are now willing to do business how business is being done. Um, and like you said, Brian, it there was no indication before this. And this is part of the reason why every time, you know, Bob and I would text about this, I'd be like, there's just no evidence that they're going to do something like this because they haven't. They've been so reticent to hand out these big contracts. And it has seemed like, John Henry has been um, sort of shying away from this because of some of the failures of some of his other large deals. Um, But I also kind of liked something that you said on Twitter, Brian, when you were kind of alluding to the fact that we as fans kind of did this. Um, And I do think that there is a big part of the fact that there has been so much Public outcry and so much raking this team over the coals, and rightfully so, for the way that Bloom has managed this roster and the way that Henry has been a bit absentee when it's come to franchise altering decisions. I mean, we've talked a number of times here on the show about that right field porch and about the guys who may go up on that right field porch eventually. And if Mookie had stayed here, he would have been a lock for the right field porch. Xander would have been a lock if he had stayed. Xander still might because of uh, what he's meant to the franchise at this point. Um, but with Devers gone, it was like, okay, who's going to be the next guy? I have no idea. Are they going to re- retire Clemens's number eventually? You know, it was going to be like, who knows? It, it, it would have been a long time. Um, I'm also still angry a little bit. Like, I... I'm not going to lie. I felt relief when this deal went down and I I completely agree with the sentiment that's out there that like, Ooh, okay. Now we can enjoy the 2023 season without the black cloud that was over the 2022 season while we were all dreading what was going to happen with Xander. So that's great. But the thing is like, this does feel reactionary. If they were willing to give out $300 million deals Why on earth did they play such hardball with Xander at a time when, uh, you know, it it seems pretty clear to me that this wasn't like one of those situations where it was binary, where they could have just had Xander or Devers. It seems like in this situation, if they had just given Xander the right offer in the spring, he'd have accepted it probably for 6-160 or something like that you know get close to two hundred he's here um and if you're willing to do this deal, devers is here too um
1: and that probably adds up to three hundred and thirty one million dollars yeah a year ago
0: yeah, you know I- exactly right. a year ago i mean um and you know i'm happy I'm happy because like I still get to be a fan of this franchise I was about to like literally. I don't know. I was I was I was thinking about taking down the picture of the 2004 World Series team if if Devers left and now it gets to stay. I've got my 2004 team in my Fenway uh, right above my desk. They get to stay. Uh, I get to continue to, you know, talk about the Red Sox. And so I'm happy, but I'm also mad still.
2: Jake, do you smell something? Because I smell o- over the monster site manager, Dan Segatore, because I think, uh, I think that's what joined, that
0: was. The I
2: think aroma just joined of, the podcast.
1: Yo, the boss, the boss. I thought it was, thought it was bad weed. What's happening?
3: <laughs> no, mine is very of, good. That might be. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw on the Slack that there's an emergency podcast going on. Um. So I, I. I mean, I had to jump in here. I can only assume it's about one thing. Do we have a speaker of the house? Is that what we're discussing here? Still no, no, no.
1: <laughs> this was this podcast was called because Keaton got a reply from Jeff Passan on the over the monster account
2: <laughs> to talk about pants shitting.
1: Yeah, Keaton has still not changed his pants
0: since this afternoon. I mean,
2: I mean the fact that Jeff Passan talked to our account,
0: I'm that was that pretty as cool. A, I'm taking that as a
2: dub.
3: Yeah. Whatever we got, we got bigger and better things than Jeff Passon coming along. <laughs> um, but no, no, I, I sorry, I, I had to, uh, I had to put my three year old to bed. Um, so I'm extremely late to the pod. Um, but you know what? I, I jumped on and I gotta say, not the celebratory mood I thought I was gonna jump into here. <laughs> Come
0: well, on, Jake. You, you, you caught my, uh, my monologue. We, we are celebrating, but we're we're also managing expectations. Here, I
3: thought Dan. I thought we weren't going to get to the wait next year's team <laughs> still isn't that good part of the podcast <laughs> until
2: like an hour in. I didn't think <laughs> we we're going to jump right into that. Well,
3: we'll I
2: think be- that's the undercurrent of the whole thing is that as great as this is in terms of s- establishing a baseline for the team going forward, it doesn't change anything about the team for this year?
3: It doesn't change anything about the team for this year here. Here's the one thing I will say it does change for at least me mentally and emotionally and even analytically. Um, when I woke up this morning, I didn't know the answer to the question of who is going to be on the next great Red Sox team. And that's bothered me a lot about, about Bloom's tenure since, since 2019 I didn't know the answer to that question. Today, we at least know one answer to that question. We still know nothing about Marcelo Meyer. Marcelo Meyer could get hit by a car tomorrow. Marcelo Meyer could completely flame out in double A. Tristan Casas may never learn how to hit lefties in his life. Brian Bayo's arm may fall off. Like, I mean, you know, every young pitcher has a 50 50 chance of getting Tommy John these days. We knew nothing about who is going to be on the next great Red Sox team right now, we know the answer to that. At least we know one name. Um, so look, does it answer 2023's questions? No, it doesn't. But I still think this is actually, I mean, this is a, this is a major move. Like we, we now, we now have at least one part of a future core in place.
0: Can we, um, can we now bank on Juan Soto signing with the Red Sox in like what two years? <laughs> we'll give him 500 mil.
3: Two years.
2: At what, at what sales point money did, is
3: off the books then?
0: Yeah. At
2: what point did we stop thinking that?
1: <laughs>
3: Are we going to be able to afford him after we assign Otani?
1: Oh, yeah, that's the
3: question. Good.
1: But and that's a great point because I was going to bring up the free agent class next year and I don't have in front of me. I know it's not great, I know it's Otani. And it was going to be Devers. And then there was a giant cliff after that. And now it's just Otani. And obviously... Machado Machado will be in there. Is Machado in? Okay. So either way, that name being off the block is, you know, teams that could potentially be desperate a year from now are more desperate and you didn't want to have him out there. I mean, we knew that it would probably be a hopeless situation if it got to that a year from now, but I think that contributed. I think everything that happened in free agency this year, which the Red Sox underestimated, and I think a lot of teams underestimated what the contracts were going to be as a result of what the Braves are doing, um, what a lot of teams are doing, and there are going to be fewer and fewer players that get to free agency in the upcoming years as a result of the bargaining agreement and numerous things, people wanting to take money and safety in their twenties before becoming a free agent after that. And my last thought here is just must be nice as an Atlanta Braves fan every three months to have this feeling that one of your star players that you're going to build around for the rest of this decade is locked up at a fair deal. And in some cases, very team friendly. Yeah. Albies is seven years, 35 million. Just For context well, so that was straight up
3: theft.
0: That that that's not a fair <laughs> deal. <laughs> no.
2: Well, and I have thought that, that the Braves are the team that the Red Sox ultimately want to mimic the most in terms of the way they do business. And this is so not that, even though they have cunha side, but Acuna at his age endeavors at his age, not the same thing. Um but I will say that we talk about can you trade these players later on i think that if there are factors beyond john henry feeling ashamed that went toward this deal getting made when it did which is after all the other deals of its size got made whatever happens to carlos correa notwithstanding is that there's safety in numbers and that these will be tradable contracts uh, because they're so standard. They're all similar, and the numbers are all only going to go up as things go on, and the differences between them now are going to be smaller. And it's just going to be a s- standardized trade format. Do you want to get this player who was signed this year for this contract? And the Red Sox will have options. This was the thing I always had a problem with, uh, when it came to potential Mookie deals, and I would, and will have, when it comes to Devers deals, what are you going to be paying him for in ten years? What makes you think we're going to be paying him in ten years? The people change teams. What we're paying for is the next five years. That's really what we're paying for.
3: If the Robin, Robinson Cano contract could be moved, any contract can be moved. It, I mean, it really like it's it's yeah. I'm, I'm not the least bit worried about Raphael Devers uh, age 31 through 36. I'm really not. I mean, it, it, uh, he. we still have issues about him as a player. I think that we should be a little concerned about. I think, you know, I, I, I a couple of weeks ago on the pod with Brian, I, I read a list of Raphael Devers top 10 uh, similarity scores on baseball reference. A lot of, really fantastic players on that list and then there are four or five other third basemen whose careers were all completely done by the age 30 you know i think just off the top of my head it was let's see i mean there was david wright who of course had a sort of real freak back issue but there was bob horner who was completely it was famously out of baseball at like age 29 um, there is Eric Chavez, uh, who I, I was actually, frankly, surprised to see that he was as similar to Devers uh, uh, you know, as he was. I, I, I had never really thought of Eric Chavez as, as the kind of elite hitter that, that, that we tend to think of Rafael Devers as. But then again, you know, when you look at Rafael Devers' career, we do have to admit that this August 2022, it did happen. Um, we do have to admit that I believe he's only had one five-win season. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I'm not I, I am not doubting that Rafael Devers um, is going to be a great player and that this is going to be a great deal for the Red Sox. Um, I, you know, I, look look at the All Star game last year. He was one of the top five hitters in baseball, I think, and he was yeah. doing that as a 25 year old who'd already put up a five win season in his career for me, when a player is that good, that young, you know, you, you, this is absolutely the type of contract you give out. Um, But even if he does continue to put on a little weight, and even if he never does quite reach the heights of the first half of last season, again, like they're still, they're going to be able to move this contract. They always can. The numbers go up. The money comes into the league. I mean, if a global pandemic has didn't, didn't stop the money from flowing into this league, nothing is going to stop it. So I'm really, I, I'm not the least bit worried about, about you know what we do with this contract when he's 30. He, he's either going to be a great player for the Red Sox, and like Jake said as, as I logged on, the next guy to go up on the right field facade, or they'll find someone to move him. It's you know, it's really this this hand wringing over what. 2029 20, is going to look like it just drives me nuts sometimes.
1: I think kind of the the one just to add on to what could be the negatives in this contract in the second half is you look at O swing percentage and you know or chase rate whatever you want to call it and Devers is near the top of the league in that and that's fine when you're 26 and that should be fine through his 20s um but you don't want to slide closer to Javier Baez. And Baez is far and away, 48.7. But Devers is eighth in the league in O-swing percentage at 40.3. And that's one kind of profile that doesn't age that well. So, you know, you mentioned... Is he, I think you're kind of alluding to would he play third base for the duration of his contract? Probably not. Is he going to move over to first? Could he potentially be a DH in the second half? You don't worry about that because the numbers will keep going up and his contract might look like a bargain in his thirties, but you don't want to see uh, defense regress in his thirties. And then his kind of plate discipline or swing profile, um, on that side of 30 go that way as well. And just O swing is kind of historically one thing that, um, you know players can fizzle out a little bit earlier.
3: Yeah, I think that's true when their bats and their wrists slow down a little bit. Um but uh, you know, just going the other direction and and you guys may have already discussed this before I jumped on. Have you guys talked about the fact that he's likely to benefit pretty considerably from the shift ban, I think. I mean, all lefties are, all lefty power hitters are. Um But, you know, certainly at least when you're looking at the current Red Sox personnel, you know, it's him and maybe Alex Verdugo are probably the two guys who are going to benefit the most from this. And so to the extent to which, you know, his his maybe propensity to swing outside the strike zone hurts him in future years as his swing slows down, like maybe that'll be offset by the shift, man.
0: Could also be offset by the fact that he becomes a better hitter as he ages, you know, he just becomes more selective. Knows the zone a little bit better, adapts as he slows down. We see that with a lot of hitters too, especially hitters of Devers's caliber. Um, I got to be mm-hmm. honest; like I, I didn't even think for a half second when I heard about this deal about the downsides of it <laughs> at all. Like there, to me, there is no downside uh, to this contract. This was such a no-brainer um, to lock up. Your 26-year-old stud uh, third baseman, and I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed about the podcast that Dan and Brian, you guys have been doing together, is you've you've done a good job of outlining just how ridiculous it is to worry about the financials of contracts in baseball, um, because you know as you guys have laid out on your show, the money is just flowing in um, and the nature of these deals that Brian has said has become the new norm um, is that the AAV just isn't really that high at all. So, you know, you stretch these deals out over 11 years and it's really easy to imagine if the Red Sox want to uh, eat this money or, you know, trade this contract or whatever, it's not going to be a problem. And certainly I am not worried about it. John Henry is worth $6 billion. um, You know, who cares about the money? The only thing I care about is the fact that Devers is here. He's a building block. uh, And what this signals to the rest of the league about the Red Sox seriousness to compete and to be in the running for deals like this in the future.
2: So, uh, you know what? Hearing you say that makes me think of um, what these contracts remind me the most of. And what that is, is, The NFL, where there is a salary cap, and MLB pretends like there isn't, but I think we know. They pretend like there is. That's the problem. (laughs)
3: They've been pretending like there is a cap. Sure. Okay.
2: But in, yes. But the um, quarterbacks in the NFL, there was a long period of time continuing right up until this moment but the nature has changed a little bit where Jimmy Garoppolo was the highest paid player in baseball and then, or in football. And then Jared Goff was the highest paid player in football, et cetera, et cetera. It was just the next quarterback to get it because the contracts were proscribed. And I think that these contracts are proscribed. And I think that Devers is as good a bet as you could make now. It is two years on two plus years on Mookie Betts was also 26 and they decided to trade him rather than give him a contract, which would have been more than this, but not ultimately enough more to me to say that it's of a different character. I think these are the same character traits at the same time. As we talked about, I think that the pressure on John Henry probably helped this result come about. And I think that anyone who thinks that that's ridiculous should look at the entirety, the John Henry ownership, which whipsaws between strategies pretty violently.
3: John Henry, yeah, I mean, we we shouldn't forget. John Henry... I mean, he's not the same guy he was. He once called into WEEI oh. to respond to what he like thought he was unfair up.
1: criticism. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think he you're right. Showed he showed up in, in the 98.5 studio. studio and yeah. sat there for an hour and a half and let Felger and Maz grill him. And the other owners told him, maybe don't do that
3: anymore. Yeah. He, I mean, he used to post on Red Sox message boards. Like, this guy... You know, the idea that he, he is just this sort of like unfeeling robot up in the owner's box. Like this guy at one point was one of the most sensitive to fans concerns owners. There wasn't any sport, you know, so it yeah, so th- like- there's no way that's disappeared. There's no way that's disappeared. And there's no way that that going to his his home three days ago at Fenway Park and getting booed out of the building didn't have some impact on him. Well, I think clearly we owe this to Bruins fans. I mean, <laughs> drunk Bruins
0: fans are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, Bob pointed this out to me um, and sent it to me immediately uh, about these these Bruins fans booing the crap out of them and about the pay Devers signs uh, getting uh, taken away from fans at the at Fenway. So it's I it's thought it was like a,
1: a great sign when I saw that tweet.
3: It said, I, "Please." It was a polite. Oh, sign. yeah. No, you're yeah, talking was about a... the
1: actual literal sign. I'm just yeah, saying it was yeah. a great sign when I heard that they were booing the shit out of John Henry in his own stadium with his stupid hockey team in the building. <laughs> I just this has to increase the percentage odds, you know, even if from 50 to 51 after seeing that. I didn't even you think know, of he... the fact
0: that those were the penguins in there. Holy crap, yeah, the he he other team! Yeah. <laughs> wow, I was like, yeah, it was cool that, that he stopped by this event, you know, that was taking place at Fenway which <laughs> to watch his team.
3: If, t- if it wasn't the Penguins, he's in St. Lucia, yeah, on, oh, on with Linda on <laughs> two days ago. Here I was, I mean, I was hold on, is thing.
2: it technically St. Lucia if he owns the island?
3: Uh, like, that's... Yeah.
2: yeah, but here, but. Here's the most galling thing about of all of this. I think the simplest explanation here is the best one. And that John Henry just got fed up with. I'm not saying Bloom's approach because I think it's John Henry directed. But I think he just got fed up, got booed at his own place and was like, eh, Fine. I can afford to do this, Let's just do this, which is just offensive in every way, except for that it makes the Red Sox much better for years to come.
3: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: This is why I was pissed off when you got on, Dan. Because it, he just showed us we could have also had Mookie. Yep. We could have also had Xander. Yeah. We could have the best team in baseball right
3: now. No, no, no. We absolutely could. We, I mean, we did. When yes, I, when I am was we hired, did. We did. Forget yeah. about the twenty nineteen blip, which was almost entirely—I mean, not entirely—result. But you know, that was the year that Chris Sale went down in August with Tommy John. That was the year that Eduardo Rodriguez was out. Like, you know, we did have the best team in baseball. So you're absolutely right. And you know, the turnaround for me. I, I'm not gonna say it was because he got booed at Fenway Park. I don't think it was all fan perception. I think there's an extent to which that they they started pursuing a strategy in 2019. You know, a, a strategy that that put value above all else, all other considerations. And I think they kind of looked around today and realized that the strategy just kind of got away from them a little bit. And they looked around and said, Who is going to be on the next great Red Sox team? The talent was seriously, seriously eroded for for everyone's talking about how much the farm system has improved. And people talk about that as if it's a top three farm system. It's not. It's it's still, you know, in most most people have it in the 10 to 15 range, which, you know, there's only 30 baseball teams. 10 to 15 is not that great. And, you know, like I said, Marcelo Meyer might be wonderful. I truly hope he is. We can't count on Marcelo Meyer at all right now. I think they looked around all of a sudden today and said, shit, we kind of, we let this get away from us a little bit in this, in the endless pursuit of value, the endless drive to never overpay, they didn't see how much talent was being drained from the organization top to bottom. And so I think it's, I think the fan pressure played a role too, but I also think that, you know, like you said, he sways in the wind, but it's not necessarily swaying in the wind to fan perception. I think he's realistically taking a look at the team in front of him and saying, maybe we made a little bit of a mistake here.
2: Well, I think fan perception wasn't wrong. I think that's, that's the point that like, They tacked so far in one direction that, and given their resources, there was no reason to go that far. But having gone that far, there's only one way to get back toward the middle. And that's just to make a basic move. That's the other thing. It's not, I think that a lot of people, myself included, and a lot of Red Sox fans included, maybe Jake saw the Xander deal and was like, well, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Given his age, that's not the case with this. This is standard. This is yeah. very down the middle. This is so a very is a good, very
3: young player yeah. that you're adding to that. Like, that's the strategy. Hey, here's a good young player. Let's sign him up for a team.
0: I, I think the thing that I want to just hit on for a second that uh, you guys were talking about was the thing about the Red Sox shifting to this only value build through the farm type of approach. And I think the thing that was a bit lost on me throughout this entire thing was like looking around at the teams that have been successful doing that, you know, um, teams like the Rays, they don't do that because they want to. They do that because they have to, you know, and (laughs) the Red Sox pivoting to that strategy Never made sense to me because it was like, sure, that's nice to have. It is nice when you can find value. It is nice when you can use your farm effectively to either, you know, build your major league team or as trade chips. But the model to me was always the Dodgers. Spend a shitload of money. Have a great farm. Supplement your team. Be smart around the fringes. And it was like they tried to just do the being smart part and forgot that, like, we're the friggin' Red Sox. Yeah.
3: Thank, thank you so much for saying that, because I can't believe it. You see this all the time on the Internet. It's, it's almost become gospel amongst a certain class of baseball fans over the last 10 years. This belief that the most efficient way to build a baseball team is through the farm system. You you read a variation of that all the time. The most efficient way to build a baseball team is through a farm system. Free agents aren't efficient. That's not what efficient means. The cheapest way to build a, far, a baseball team is through the farm system. The most expensive way to build a baseball team is through free agency. But if you have money, the most efficient way to build it is to use your money. All right. Right. Do like, both. look. If I have to build a fence in my backyard, and if I have no money, I don't have a choice but to build it myself. But if I do have money, the efficient way to do it is to hire somebody who's good at building a goddamn fence. Like if you want to build through the farm system, it's the opposite of efficiency. It's cheap, but it's the opposite of efficiency. It takes goddamn years to do that. You know, it doesn't take years signing a free agent that takes one off season. Yeah.
1: The raise payroll in 2023 projected is $73 million. Competitive balance tax is $233 million. Difference between those two things is $160 million. So you can be the raise plus 160. Think of what you can do with the rest of that. And they ignored that part and tried to find value I know they were hamstrung by a couple contracts, but in general tried to find value throughout and you can be top heavy and then do that 73 around the margins. And there are more moves that can be done beyond this. We'll see if that happens. Stars and scrubs, my, Bob. Yeah. My, Going to my, your take,
2: my take is always not always been, but I, as I've thought about this, I thought, are they trying to be the Dodgers Are they trying to be the Astros? But what I said earlier, I think, is uh, what I believe. I think they're trying to be the Braves. And I think they're trying to be the Braves, not necessarily for the same reason the Braves are trying to be the Braves. I think that they view the Braves as the grown-up version of the Rays. And with Bloom in charge, they're going to run the same strategy that the Ray's run with more money, or the the Braves run with more money, but that involves a lot of acquiring players at a certain age. Um, So I think that of like 23, 24, 25, you see the tweet, you know that the Braves have signed another player. The Devers contract, I think, just falls within this strategy, even if it seems like an outlier. But that, to me, more than the Dodgers, because if they wanted to be the Dodgers, they wouldn't have traded Mookie to the Dodgers. That's just not what they're trying to do. Um, They're trying to save money, and I think they're trying to be like the Rays to the Braves is one step up, Braves to the Red Sox another step up. I don't. I'm not 100 percent
3: sold on that. They're, they're trying to be the Braves thing. Um, if for no other reason than this whole this whole Braves magic ability to sign all of the homegrown grown players they want to to below market deals really is something that hasn't been that clear until the last off season or so. I mean, you know, Acuna was a was a very early deal, but Acuna was almost a. Acuna, the Acuna deal was, was signed so early in his career that it actually was reminiscent to the Rays in some sense. It it was a throwback to the Evan Longoria deal a little bit, certainly matches up with the Wanda Franco deal. Um, And then the, you know, the Albies deal that we talked about, I mean, that was, like I said, that was theft. Nobody saw that coming at all. Um, But uh, I don't know that, I don't know that they've been copying the Braves because I don't think anyone thought what the Braves are doing was even possible. (laughs) Um, they should have I been. think I- if
2: anyone thought it would possible, it would be the Rays, because I agree with you that like the Rays deals and the Braves deals, the top top level, very similar because it's top level players. But I think that the difference between the Rays and the Braves, the Rays can only afford to do so many of these deals. Yeah. And the Braves can afford to do more. And so thus they have done more. And I think that Bloom to some degree And Henry thought, well, this, and I don't think they're wrong. It just involves pissing off your fans for a few years. There's a way to do this if you put it better than the Braves and who are doing it better than the Rays, and the Rays are great at baseball. Um, So, again, today, I don't know if this, if today, if today's contract, breaks this or reinforces this, I'm just happy to have it because it's something you can build around, especially if this is the lodestar contract on your team going forward, this is fine. You can deal with this. Yeah. I, I still
3: I still tend to agree more with Bob. I think I think the plan was the raise with money. And the problem with that plan is if the central tenant of the Rays philosophy is never, ever, ever overpaying and always finding undervalued assets, then you're never actually going to end up in a situation where you're going to want to use your money. You know, you, you can't, you can't, there's only 25 players on a, on a roster, 26 now, 40. 26 or 40, whatever number you want to use. If you're never, ever, ever going to overpay for any of them, which is what the Rays philosophy is then you're never going to be able to use your financial muscle. Um, so I, I, I think like, I think that's what they were doing. I think they were saying like we can be the raise with money without realizing that that's actually kind of a self-defeating prophecy.
1: You, you can't you look, be the raise with money. Sorry, Dan. If you look at the raise roster year to year, the turnover as they continue to try to backfill with some – you know, edge of the 40-man trade that they make that ends up pitching the eighth inning in the playoffs that comes out of nowhere. There isn't a whole lot of consistency. There's a few players that are consistent from year to year. And I think that that can play in Tampa in front of 7,000 people. Here, you're going to get attached to the players. And, you know, people get more pissed off here. And there's a whole list of things that we could go back 12 years at this point you know to tito of poor decisions that the ownership um and management has made but it just gets more magnified here you're in boston you can't you can't really truly have that tampa mindset here and and just look at it as a fantasy team like all right i've got this asset and then i'm going to move it for that asset it's like People are buying the jerseys, and they get attached to
3: players. I, I think there's an argument to be made that you can't have that mindset in Tampa either, and that yeah. may be why they only draw seven thousand yeah, fans a game. You know, there's
1: a lot of reasons for
3: sure. right. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been I've been to a game in that stadium. Is it a shithole? Yes. Do you have to drive over? I think like a twelve mile bridge just to get to it from Tampa. Yes. So there are a lot of reasons why Tampa's attendance sucks. And Rays fans always point to their local TV ratings, which are usually significantly stronger relative to the league than their attendance. And they always point to that and say, we're not as bad as you think we are, but yeah, probably like it's, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily a chicken and an egg thing where it's the Rays can afford to just churn out. And, and frankly, you know, when you talked about, when you talked about roster turnover, I'm pretty sure the Rays have had by a huge factor, the highest number of pitcher injuries (laughs) over like the last five years, because they are really just treating these guys as disposable parts to be disposed of. So not, it's it may not be that they think they can operate that because no one cares in Tampa. It may be that because they operate in that, like that, yeah. no one cares in Tampa. And that is sort of the, the direction that things were trending here. I mean, I don't... I, I'm not sure. Tell me what you guys think. I don't think I've... I don't think I've sort of seen the fan base feel this sort of dejection. Is not not even like post chicken and beer, not even post Bobby Valentine did I did I feel the fan base the way that that they were feeling this offseason. Until today. Until Until today. Until yesterday. But yeah, to but me, the, this was like listen. worse.
2: To me, to me, the fan the bases team. are
3: lower place than they were with Bobby Valentine.
2: They are the same team. Bobby
3: they are Stewart, the, they're team. the same that, team yeah. that they were yesterday. And, they and didn't they bring
1: in any more. They, they might be they, a last place didn't. team. Yeah, and that could be so, a problem.
3: And that very, that could be a problem in May next year when the Bruins and the Celtics are in deep playoff runs. And if they're still if they're five games under five hundred,
1: I'm glad that we don't have to talk about this for the next twelve months. That is where the relief comes from. Tomorrow, I'm going to look at this roster and say they are missing a middle-of-the-order bat and they need to make a trade, and I'm probably going to get pissed off again. But for a few hours, this was fun.
3: Yeah. And you know what else? Even if they don't make that trade, um, which I'm not expecting it, I I think it's looking increasingly possible to me that we're starting the season with a story Arroyo-Middle-Infield next year. I'm a huge Christian Arroyo (laughs) fanboy. But yeah, and I'm only I'm basing that on the fact that I think they are pro, they are super they are now very very close to the luxury tax threshold, and I think they're probably going to want to stay under it in order to reset it for upcoming free agent classes. So I'm not. I mean, at this point, even someone like Andrews bringing in Elvis Andrews may may hamstring them there. So I think we're increasingly looking like we're going to start the season with a arroyo infield. I don't think there are going to be any other major additions, but having said that, I'll I'll take your point even further, Bob. If, if at this point next May, the team is still, you know, pretty much a team like we saw this past season, a a team that's going to top out at 86, 87 wins in the best case scenario. But if Devers is in the middle of the lineup and he's raking, And if Marcelo Meyer is progressing as we hope he can progress, and if Tristan Casas is thumping and learning to hit lefties, like at least at that point, I'll be like, "Well, now I see where this team's going," which until today I didn't see. So even you know, even putting aside the fact that there's they still might not be that great next year, there's at least we can see a path to to a to a contender now. Now it might still be two years away. Yep. Probably is,
1: right. But at least there's a path. Yeah, I think that without
3: without Devers, I didn't I didn't know how they were going to get there.
1: There's a story: Devers, Cassius, Bayo, Whitlock, maybe some prospects core that you can see. But there are there pitchers is. that need to take a leap this year. Well, you know who's a free agent
3: um, next year, who's not getting talked about, and who is still young as hell: Julio Rios, I believe comes on the market next year. Um, yeah, and even though he's been around forever, I think he's still only like 26, 27 years old. Yeah. Um, so I would be. I mean, I mean, frankly, when's you know when's the last time a twenty seven year old starting pitcher with his pedigree has come onto the market? I think that bidding could get out of hand. But that's the. Uh, uh, I mean, I I think on the on the end of the season roundtable, we briefly talked about the starting pitching for agent market, and and I said how literally every single one of those names scares me. Julio Rios, who has already been injured, of course, but he's so – you could say, hey, he's over that hump now. Um, but, I mean, a 27-year-old starting pitcher with his pedigree, like, I would I – God, I would I would give him the moon or whatever it takes to get him in here.
1: Brian, any last thoughts? Yeah, Where did just Jake agree? go? <laughs> Jake had to leave.
2: Jake, oh, he Jake did? Had a, Jake had did he, a hard cap. Jake had a hard you tell, cap oh, okay. on time. I he told that. us ahead okay. of time, yes. Um,
3: what did I – you guys just – can you guys just recreate the first 10 minutes that I missed of the pod? Brian, you um, be Jake. Bob, you be I was Brian. funneling beer Hi, the entire I'm time. i Jake. I, I hate
2: him. Bill Belichick because I'm an idiot.
3: Oh, come on. Um, did you guys seriously talk about the Pats on this? I'm going to make a no Patriots rule.
2: All right. <laughs> actually, I actually wouldn't mind that. Um, what are I, you drinking uh, there,
3: Bob? What's that? What are you drinking there to celebrate tonight?
1: I have a boom sauce.
3: Oh, okay. Staying local. Oh, like uh, it.
1: Lord Hobo fame. Yep. So, Brian's, so Brian's
3: not drinking anything but water and shoveling delivery pizza into his mouth. I can tell I'm it. drinking oh.
2: the Trader Joe's double IPA.
3: Oh, okay. Really? Okay. You're mixing uh, mixing substances. I can tell tonight in that
2: case. <laughs> well, you weren't here to see the first part. Anyhow, point <laughs> being, point being, um, I don't think the Sox are signing Julio Reyes under any circumstance. If they didn't go after Rodone, that doesn't seem like the type of thing they're going to do. I think that Devers' contract is like the upper bound of what they are prepared to offer to people. I actually still think they are on the Braves, like Braves being graduated Rays, Red Sox being graduated Braves way of doing things. And I think Devers is the highest and they're going to backfill uh, going down from that.
1: All right. And, I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to try to wrap this up unless you. Know oh yeah. Up. Good.
2: Cause I was, I was going to do it, but Bob, go for it.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be the de facto uh, red seat host at the end here. Uh, but thank you to. <laughs> Jake Devereaux, you can follow him at Dev Jake. You can follow me at Bob Osgood fifteen. Brian Joyner. Brian with a Y, Joiner with an I. How'd I do there? <laughs> Boom. And uh, Dan Secatory at the uh, at that name as well as uh, yeah over that the monster name. as well, right? Yeah, that name, that name. Yep. first and last name.
3: If you're listening to this on uh, Thursday morning, Pod on lands down. will be dropping a. They are recording right now um they will probably be uh, even drunker than people on this podcast if you believe it uh, so, so that'll be i know
1: brian you're oh, doing great i know i know i'm, very offended. Well today, I'm I know.
2: offended by
3: that i know i
1: know i know show do up you 20 do? minutes late and throw shade like that <laughs> I, yeah i mean
3: well that, the, the point is, i showed up 20 minutes late because i was cleaning up my three-year-old's diarrhea that is not a good situation to start <laughs> drinking in so, thank you all for that's... joining
1: us it's been a pleasure we will see you next week.